Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 135 for the 19th of February, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski here with Paul Ducklin. Hello, Chester. And uh, we've got an interesting docket that uh, has, I guess, a couple themes this week. And the first of which seems to be related to the apps we load on our phones. And we, we've talked about this uh, a couple times this year previously. First was this giant flappy bird ruckus, I guess this super popular application, some kind of game that was popular, I guess, in January primarily, and the author rescinded it. Now, of course, because it was so popular and it's kind of uh, the forbidden fruit, it's unavailable. People are going crazy trying to get it and getting themselves infected. On, on Naked Security, the example of ripoff clone malware that we saw that looks just like the Flappy Bird app, plays just like the Flappy Bird app, uh, tries to send SMS messages that will cost you much more money than you might at first have thought. You got to realize that when something is no longer available, that criminals and scam artists and other people are going to flock to the topic and try to provide false information. You know, this is a recurring theme, folks. You shouldn't be caught off guard by Flappy Bird when it vanishes to think that there might be bad things out there. Yes, in the same way that it's very, very unlikely that you're going to get the free iPad. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on the type of fraud. Some things are more expensive than others. Uh, sometimes it's simply handing over your PII to someone for an unknown purpose. Other times it's, as you mentioned, these, these uh, especially if it's an app, right, the ability to send SMSs on your behalf. A lot of the iPad scam ones that I've investigated, they often actually sign you up for a very similar thing. They sign you up for a premium SMS service. You need to be on your guard that if somebody has started you off by inviting you to do one thing and then suddenly changes their mind and is trying to sell you something else. That's called bait and switch, folks, and that word bait is not meant to be complimentary. Well, and I think another thing that's important to remember here is uh, it's almost always a bad idea to go off of the Google Play Store and download things from some other marketplace, whether uh, it's a random website or something proclaiming to be an alternative market to Google. I'm not suggesting that Google's perfect here, but we know that when we look at the statistics from things like Sophos Mobile Security, the source of infection is very rarely Google Play. But Chester, I, one of the things I like about Android compared to iOS personally is that it does give me this bit of extra freedom, but it is a freedom that I take with very, very great caution. If you're going to go off market looking for specific stuff, then you need to educate yourself on how to do that safely, which may even involve downloading the app to a non-Android device first and validating it, for example, by means of a cryptographic checksum. Well, I think that's good advice, but, uh, you know, the advice being given out by many people out there can often be a bit hysterical. Now, uh, approximately a year ago, uh, we wrote on Naked Security about the talking Angela uh, chain letter, I guess, if you would call it, that was going around on Facebook and how people were hysterical about this app spying on children and sending photos of them to people and all this stuff. And as with a lot of these scams, they're a bit cyclical. So here we are, February 2014, and this story is very popular again. I mean, is Facebook rumors a reliable source of information to secure your iPad? Um... <laughs> Apparently not. Who would have thought? The big mutation between 2013 and 2014 version of this scare, which basically says, this app, which features a talking cat, is dangerous to your children, beware, 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 
The big difference is that this year's warning is much more rambling, even less believable and well-structured, but it is not written in all capital letters. And uh, that seems to be good enough for some people to assume that this year's one is true, whereas last year's one, which was a bit shouty, maybe that was false after all. When something that is giving you this thing to do with no evidence ends up by saying, and please forward this to all your friends, if you do, all you're doing is contributing to misinformation on the internet. Yeah, I think critical thinking, just like in Flappy Bird, you know, applies here a little bit in, in several ways. I mean, I, I think about when I receive a warning about something that I feel is legitimate, I don't need to be told to send it to my friends. If, if I believe they may be affected, as happened in a few of these password and credit card breaches, um, I'm willing to forward that on on my own. Or I pick up the telephone and I call my mother and say, Mom, did you use your credit card at Target uh, after Thanksgiving this year? Because there may be a risk to you. I mean, I can make the judgment myself without someone telling me, send this on to everyone you know. In addition to that, Shouldn't you be screening apps you load for your children on your iPhone or your Android maybe before you load them rather than reacting and waiting for somebody to tell you that it's dodgy and you should remove it? Yes, it's a little bit like saying, you know, the way I'm going to deal with security, computer security on my laptop is once in a while I'll run a virus scan and if I find a virus or malware on it, I'll remove it and that will be great. How about being a little more proactive so you don't get into trouble in the first place? If I can wrap this segment up by quoting something that one of the commenters on Naked Security said, which I think sums it up perfectly. This person said, Check out the app for yourself, and if anything doesn't sit well with you, don't let the kids at it. It's called parenting, and more people need to try it. I couldn't agree more. And while we're kind of on hysteria around things without carefully considering what we're listening to, there was a very controversial segment on NBC News in the United States related to the Sochi Olympics. Chester, is that the part where a chap willfully destroyed a gorgeously designed MacBook Air cardboard box? Yes. Uh, not to mention, I think, uh, possibly his credibility with anything related to computer security. Uh, the story, as it's told, is that people uh, connecting online when they arrive and in Sochi at the Olympics will instantly be infected with malware because of the Russian hackers and the government spying on, on your every possible thing. And, you know, here's the extra 11 steps you might take to protect yourself when, when you're at the games. I was gobsmacked watching it. I, I, I just couldn't believe that this was a story, that somehow being at the Olympic Games uh, on a, a, a public Wi-Fi network might be any more dangerous than being anywhere else on a public Wi-Fi network. Well, it's the Talking Angela syndrome all over again, isn't it? Hey, I'm suddenly worried about my kids. Oh, look, they've got this app that I've heard is bad. I'll remove that app, and that's great. So now you can say, look, I didn't go to Russia. I'm not interested in people sliding down ice sheets on tea trays, so I'll be fine. Absolutely. I was asked by a journalist for um, some tips for people traveling to Sochi. They're the same tips that you should apply when you go to the Starbucks across the street from your office or when you're at the uh, San Francisco International Airport or perhaps when you're uh, on public transit using the free Wi-Fi. In the breaches department, Kickstarter was uh, breached in the last week. What's, what's strange to me with Kickstarter is uh, rather than telling us how many records were stolen, they very quietly emphasized that only two user accounts appeared to have been tampered with or logged into uh, regarding the attack. 
which is really no comfort considering they still took people's uh, names and, and more importantly, addresses, which is something that uh, if you're a Kickstarter user, you've likely shared with Kickstarter because often you get some sort of a gift for sponsoring a project. But on the good news side, they were hashing. Uh, they, they claimed that originally they were using SHA-1 with Assault uh, with a couple, uh, well, they didn't mention how many iterations, but that they had some iterations of that and later moved on to Bcrypt. And maybe you can explain to us what the importance of these iterations or things like Bcrypt is. Just salting and hashing the passwords to store them, it's a good start. But if someone steals the database, you don't want them to be able to try a billion passwords from a list against every hash in the database too quickly. That means that although you can't reverse the hash, you can try a lot of potential passwords and you'll very quickly get hits. So the idea of a system like Bcrypt, uh, other well-known ones are Scrypt and PBKDF2, is that they actually use a hashing algorithm very many times, and we're talking several thousands, so that actually the cost of seeing whether someone's password might have been aardvark is, say, 10,000 times more expensive than if you just used a straight hash. And although it doesn't sound like that would make a big difference, it does mean, for example, that something that you could crack in an hour with a single iteration of a hash might take 10,000 hours worth of time to do if you have all those iterations to do for every password you want to try. So instead of being able to crack something uh, in one hour's time, if you were to start now, it would actually might take you until Christmas by which time anyone who realized there'd been a breach would have had plenty of time to go in and change their password. And that's really what we're talking about here, isn't it? It's about buying time. I mean, there's no way to absolutely uh, guarantee that your password can't be cracked. There's obviously mitigations, right? Not using short passwords, not using guessable passwords. And we'll talk about that more in a second. But uh, really, you know, by the website that was breached doing the right thing, ahead of time or trying to do the right thing by using uh, these iterations and things, you're just buying time. You still need to change your password. It doesn't mean that suddenly you're safe. It just means that uh, it's not going to be three hours later that you see a list of the top 20,000 accounts and their passwords published on Pastebin. Yes, and indeed, on Naked Security, we made that point about a related breach, which was the Forbes one. The crooks made off with, uh, in fact, it was the Syrian Electronic Army, wasn't it? made off with just over a million records from the username database. You'd kind of expect, as you say, that within a day or two, there'd be all these password analyses that didn't just concentrate on a few passwords, that had a giant list of all the passwords they recovered. And I guess there are two reasons you didn't read about that in the Forbes case. One, sadly, is that there are so many breaches these days that maybe that's not that newsworthy anymore. And two is... Nobody was able to get such a big list because of this thousands of iterations of the hash, which means that a well-chosen password simply can't be guessed quickly. Right. And, and you also have the advantage with the salting of not having cracked one person's password and being able to see that uh, a hundred or a thousand other people chose the same one. You have to go through the process one at a time to determine that they're the same. You can't just look for one hash in the list and, and count how many people used it. Oh, yes. Whereas we can argue about whether you should have 8,000, 10,000, 20,000 iterations and what kind of hash function you should use. We can't argue about the salt. The salt is the sine qua non of storing passwords. 
and the salt is a random string that you put at the beginning or the end of the password before you begin hashing that makes sure that if two people choose the same password the hash that you store no matter how many times you iterate will not be the same and will be unpredictably different and as you say that's absolutely vital because a it stops you pre-computing a long list of which hashes go with which passwords which turn your dictionary attack into a simple lookup table and b it means that if two people choose the same password and you happen to know what one of them is you don't know what the other one is exactly now um, you did do some analysis on this uh, forbes list this is not scientific take it with a pinch of salt to me there was a there was a visible, if not necessarily statistically significant, difference between the percentage of people who chose shabby passwords who joined Forbes within the, in the last year compared to people who joined Forbes from 2009 to 2012. A significant difference. So, for example, Yahoo users, 11 times less likely to choose a password in the top 100 list. Gmail users, nine times less likely to choose a really, really easy password and so on. Although there could be other explanations, I was quite optimistic about that and I decided that you can teach an old dog new tricks and if you remind people enough about the importance of some things in computer security, they will listen and they will change their behavior. I think that's what this shows and it made me very pleased. Well, thanks for that, Paul. It's always uh, informative to have a look into our behavior, and and it is encouraging to see that uh, uh, amongst the the larger community and not just security experts, that people are changing their behavior in a positive way. And I'd like to remind everyone that Sophos will be at the RSA Conference 2014 next week, and we uh, invite any of you that may be attending to please stop by and say hello, share a story, uh, shake hands with us. We'll um, be in the North Exhibition Hall in booth 2701, right by the entrance. And uh, we've got some talks as well. Uh, Vanya Schweitzer uh, from Sophos Labs Croatia is going to be doing a talk on Friday. And uh, I'm going to be co-delivering talks on Tuesday and Wednesday. So we've got quite a few things lined up if you have a chance to come see us. Chester, you'll be doing some talks on the stand, won't you? They won't be salesy commercial ones. They will be technically oriented talks that will teach you something that perhaps you didn't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, John Shire and I will both be doing talks on the stand as well related to mobile malware, email encryption, credit card theft, and uh, even a little bit of war biking. So there's, there's quite a good lineup and we look forward to seeing folks. I'd like to say thank you to anyone who voted for us in the Security Bloggers Awards. We appreciate your support there as well. And that concludes Sophos Security Chat Chat 135. For all the latest security news, visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. For all of our podcasts, you can go to soundcloud.com slash And until next time, stay secure.